This episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. If you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Welcome to the show, Jamie. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So how much clean time do you have now? Um, I have about six and a half years. So July 20th, 2015 was my day of surrender. Okay. Now, what was going on July 19th of 2015 that you were like, I need to Trying get to do something different? Um, so basically, you know, I feel like I burned every bridge. Um, I mean, it got so bad. You know, even my own grandma wouldn't let me come over there. <laughs> um, I also had gotten into a little bit of trouble where they gave me four years of uh, first offenders probation. And they the, the judge said, you know, for the next four years, you have to, you know, pass a drug test and not get in any trouble. And basically, I was like, I don't know how to do that. Yeah. And so um, it kind of backed me into the corner. I mean, I didn't get mandated per se, but it was like a little nudge from the judge, you know, <laughs> like, hey, you better do something here. And so um, that was when I started kind of looking for some different facilities. I was homeless at the time. I remember I was walking down the street. It was like a major busy road. Um, I was trying to figure out where I was going to stay that night, how I was going to get high. I had a garbage bag on my back full of my belongings because that was just, you know, I didn't have a, a home. And so trying to figure out who I could get to get me one more night in the hotel room, get me high one more time, you know. And um, a friend of mine called, um, she had just got out of prison, like she'd been in there for like a couple of years, we used to sell dope together and stuff. And so she calls me up and she's like, hey, I'm going to this sober living facility in Athens, and I think you should come. And it was just like, something happened in me. And I just threw my hands up and said, yes, I will go. And, you know, that was about two weeks before. And of course, in the next two weeks, I tried to find every single way that I could not go. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to talk yourself out of it almost like, you know, it's easy to talk ourselves out of things, especially how long had you been like in active addiction? Oh, to my that goodness. Um, so I took my first drink at 11. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, watch it, watch it, the Captain Morgan. Okay. Yeah. 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. Took, took a shot, drank, drank a big glass. I had had a, a bad day at school. I got bullied a lot in school. I'm not laughing really at bad. you getting bullied. I'm laughing at like, uh, I had a rough day at school, so I had to come back into fifth grade and with my algebra, with my algebra homework, got a nice shot of. <laughs> yeah, those are my coping skills. Those are my coping skills, and it was learned because I grew up in a household with an alcoholic father. And, yeah. you know, that's what he did when he was stressed out. He had There's a your bottle. That is timetables. And I can't do this shit. <laughs> right, right. It was terrible. I lost the spelling bee. I don't know what to do anymore. I give up. <laughs> no, I get it. Because fifth No, but in fifth grade, it's the same thing, though. We were watching The Outsiders. We just wanted to drink and be cool. And then in sixth grade, you know, somebody died. And then we're like, well, if we drink, it'll be better. So it is, it's a learned behavior, you know, and it's no fault to our own. It's just, it's our own coping skills that we think that it's our way of survival. You know, what we think we need to do to survive in that moment in time, because you're almost too proud to ask somebody how to do something because you can finally think for yourself at that age. And you're like, I want to do it on my own and figure it out on my own. You know, are you the oldest or the youngest or the only? I am the oldest of three. And so am I. And when you're the oldest of three, you really don't have like big bro or big sis. What do I do here? You, you're right. figuring it out and you make the mistakes so that your younger siblings don't have to make the mistakes. Right. Definitely trying to like protect them. You know, like I said, with my father growing up in, a, in an alcoholic household, he was one of these where, you know, I would come home and I would not know what kind of situation I'm going to come home to. Am I going to come home to daddy wants to watch scary movies and eat snacks with me today? Or am I going to come home to him, you know, beating the hell out of my mother and smashing everything in the house? You know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, no, it's unfortunate. Was it a sister, a brother? What were your siblings? So I have a younger sister and a younger brother, um, four years younger and five years younger. Okay. So kind of, so kind of significant of a difference in age between you and the others. Because that, that makes a difference because that means you're the only child for the first few years of that all of a sudden there's boom, boom, there's two other kids and then there's mayhem and then you're kind of left off to the wind to figure right. your shit out because it's craziness to raise a two and a one year old at the same time. The six year old, she knows, you know right. what you're doing. And, and my parents had me when they were like 15. So I try not to put like too much like, you know, bad will on them. Like, oh, you're just such a shitty job raising me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but no. Freaking 15 years old. Like, what can I expect from you at that age? You know. How old are you now, Jamie? I am about to be 42 in July. Man, opiates keep us young. You don't look 42. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's just, and that and that proves to the point even more so. So when your parents were 15, it's not like they could Google shit to be like, what do I do with a screaming kid? You know. <laughs> it's you're really figuring it out and they're not even reading a book they're not even reading their homework you know what i mean they're they're really what was it what show oh me and my wife we watched that show raising hope um and it's hysterical and it's about like you know 15 year olds had kids and then this kid had a kid when he was like 20 you know so now they're in their 30s and are helping their grandparents and are helping their 20 year old raise this kid that he had with a serial killer you know, it's a it's a comedy. It's a comedy that was like on Fox years ago, and it's hysterical. Um, but anyway, yeah. So that's 
All right. So, yeah, they don't know what they're doing. They're figuring it out. Um, when does, like, your drinking turn to drugging? But, like, I know it is alcoholically already at 11 because if, you know, like we said, you're having a rough day at school. Right. What are you, what are you being bullied for? Um, because I was, like, chubby growing up. <laughs> the, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The chubby kid and... So basically, yeah, that was it. Um, so I got bullied kind of a lot for that. And then um, just, you know, I just kind of never knew how to like fit in, right? Like I never knew how to make friends. We also moved a lot. Like by the time that I graduated high school, I had gone to 12 different schools. So not only do I have all of this trauma, crazy stuff going on at home, but my father was involved in a little bit of like criminal activity. My family's from Sicily. So <laughs> my father was involved with some, a little bit of activity. And um, it was like, we would have to move really quick, right? So it'd be like, okay, you know, we're moving from Georgia to New Hampshire. Okay, we're moving from New Hampshire to Florida. Like, it's not like we were moving like around the block. <laughs> like we're making yeah. very quick moves across the country. And, um, and then not being able to tell anybody what's going on. And I think it has, you know, I'm sure it's in a lot of other cultures, but especially in the Italian culture, we do not talk about our problems outside of the house. Like our problems are our business and nobody else is going to know about it. So it's basically like, what do they call the elephant in the room, right? We just (laughs) want to keep walking around. When Italians are together for like Christmas and, you know, holidays or whatever, or parties, they're talking about each other, but not about their own business. You know, they're talking about what the cousin or the aunt or the uncle did, but they're not talking about what our family's doing. It's the other inner families is what you're talking about. Because, right. like, you know, I grew up with plenty of Italian friends in Jersey. I know how those parties go. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, it, it is not a lot of sharing, you know, personal information and getting vulnerable. Um, right. You know, right. that's exactly. definitely, and it still really hasn't changed much, you know. Um, okay, so that makes sense. Now you're moving around all the time, especially in high school. You can't even find, like, a way to, like, fit in because... Were you trying, like, new Jamie's everywhere you went? Oh, everywhere. I'm telling you, like, my first my first way of, like, coping was imagination. Every time I would move somewhere, I'm like, okay, this time in this place, I'm going to be this person, and this is going to be my new identity, and everybody's going to love me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Always trying to figure out ways creating these like new lifestyles. I mean, I would like write books when I was like 13. I'm writing these like short stories, you know what I mean? Trying to like figure out ways to live in like this fantasy world. So I don't have to cope with my life and then acting out these fantasies, like as if they're like real, you know what I mean? Like, oh yes, I'm, I'm really moving because my father's in the secret service. (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) and trying to convince myself of these. And, you know, it was when I, when I was in high school that I found drugs and alcohol to be my solution. That was the first time when it really clicked, you know? Um, And I remember this so clearly. I was at this party and I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. I had so much anxiety 
and I got, um, I was drinking um, Boone's, you know, those like colored. The Boone <laughs> Farms, yeah, 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 oh yeah. I remember Boone <laughs> yeah. Farms, yeah. So I'm drinking Boone's and I'm smoking weed and all of a sudden something clicked in my brain and I was funny and I was charming and I wasn't insecure and people wanted to talk to me and it felt good. And I was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is the missing key of my life. And that's when everything kicked off. I was probably like 16 years old. How many high schools did you go to all in all? Was it just one or was it multiple? I went to just one high school. And was that probably the easiest crowd to find your way in with is like the drinking and drugs crowd because they're going to accept you for and to you can now cheat and do something that makes you more comfortable with the people that already accept you for doing that right exactly and i had a car <laughs> so, you know <laughs> were you in high school in new hampshire or georgia or florida Okay, so that was in the middle of nowhere high school. So that was important to have right. a car in New That's why I was asking because sometimes you could be in a city and like having a car is like one thing, but yeah, in New Hampshire, you definitely needed a car to get around. Now, did that play in the part like were there any kind of drinking and driving incidents like during high school or did you get out of that like luckily with none of that? Um, no, I didn't have any kind of incidents like that. The only thing that I got in trouble for in high school was um, I got really high on meth and me and my girlfriend had this like whole crime, crime ring thing where we were like stealing from like JC pennies and then like returning. So we would drive like all over the state to all these different JC pennies because you could return up to a hundred dollars for cash without a receipt. So we would go and we would just like steal and then return. And one time I was so high on meth that I went back to the same JC Penny I just stole from like 10 minutes before and like walk in. You like walk over from like grabbing it off the rack. Like I want to return this. This doesn't fit. It's like, man, yeah. we have you on camera walking in and grabbing it. Yes. Yes. So, and the worst part about that, the worst part about that was at the time, my father was security for JCPenney in the next city. Of course he was. Of course he was. And so I was like, please don't tell my dad, please don't. And of course they did, you know. Um, how did how did your dad go from like lower level Lacosa Nostra associate to like JC Penny's security? <laughs> trying to get out, <laughs> trying to get out the game. Okay, okay. Yeah, my mom, my mom really put the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once we got older, you know what I mean. She was tired of moving. That's why we got to stay in New Hampshire for a whole full five years. <laughs> It's like, come on, we moved around enough. Let's and I get the I get the moving thing. You know, like in addiction, I moved fifteen times in wow. 10 in 15 years you know what i mean and the most stable it's ever been in my life you know besides now was the 12 years that i lived in the same house from first grade to 12th grade so like what everybody always asks me like i have a tattoo of a street sign on my arm of fourth avenue and it's that's the place where i lived the most because i was always they're like why do you have like a beat up street sign i'm like because that's where I actually had roots and I actually lived there and I had friends that were around it because having a friend that lived around a corner 
you don't do that when you move around all the time because you're like, what's the point? Right. I, I'm just going to leave anyway. I'm just, what, get a friendship going and then up and go? Mm-hmm. No. So I can't imagine as a kid because that's what I was isolating as an adult. And as a kid, you're automatically isolating because you really don't have the tools, especially there's no internet. There's no, you know, eye chat or whatever, like FaceTime or, right. you know, keeping in contact with these friendships that you're attaining as a child. So, because what AOL Instant Messenger didn't become popular until you might have been already a teenager. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dial up. <laughs> dial up. And it took forever to get on there anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially, I'm sure, with, you know, you had a younger brother and sister and everything in the house. Like, it's not just one person trying to get on there. There's three, plus your parents trying to get on there. All right. So now, New Hampshire, you're moving all around. What happens after high school? Do you get out of there? So after high school, I actually graduated high school. I was a really good student. I mean, I did, you know, I was like student council, assembly committee. I was in theater. Um, I was a chorus. I did very well. Um, I was like a performance-based kid, you know what I'm saying? Like, try to, like, win my parents' love and approval with good grades. And um, so after that, I went to a college. Now, I had gone to a frat party at Plymouth State College, which is one of the biggest party schools in New England. And so I went to a frat party there my senior year in high school, and I was like, oh, my God, I have got to go to this college. This is amazing. So I ended up going there um, and I lasted about three weeks. Yeah, it was about three weeks. Um, You know, I went there and I was like, oh my goodness, like there's alcohol, there's parties, there's boys. I have no curfew. (laughs) Like this is the life. And uh, after about three weeks, I ended up um, just dropping out. I mean, I couldn't couldn't get to class. Um, I had also picked up a little bit of a cocaine habit <laughs> the summer before I went to college. <laughs> Just a little bit. I'm in New Hampshire. There's snow. I might as well. Who You don't bring snow to the snow, Jamie. <laughs> right, right. So uh, I was missing my, my cocaine because the college was like two hours away from my hometown, you know? Um, I miss my friends. I I was back in that place where it was like, man, I feel like I can't fit in my social anxiety. You know, Um, all I know how to do is get trashed and end up in in some guy's dorm room. You know what I'm saying? And um, it just wasn't, uh, it just wasn't all that I thought it was going to be. And, you know, I really didn't give it a chance. You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to go back home and be back with my friends and yeah, you wanted it to be one way and then you got something different and then instead of just being patient and let it play itself out and trust in the process you ran from it and started a pattern of running i'm assuming yes, yes. to where you're like my dad ran so now i'll run right right i get that That's, i never thought of that that's like man you just <laughs> yeah yeah Wow, that's true. That is very true in so many aspects of my life. Um, And also, you know, for me, like, another reason that I always, you know, chose the drugs, too, is because of, um, you know, my weight issues, right? I mean, now, as I, I grew up, my weight issues, you know, weren't like they were when I was little, but I still had that in my brain. 
So when I was using, I was trying to, you know, curb my appetite. I was trying to not eat. I was trying to, you know, that was one of the first things I used when I was 15. I started taking diet pills, you know, and got that whole, you know, feeling of changing the way I feel. Plus I'm able to starve myself. Um, when I was in high school, I remember I starved myself for 16 days in a row. And I thought that it was the greatest accomplishment. Like I was like, yes, I'm so proud of myself. I didn't eat for 16 days. And (laughs) you're at the age too, where also at that time, like that was like the cool thing to do. Like that's what was on even TV. That's like, Mm -hmm. I love the show Friends, right? And you look back at Friends and they're a great example of giving up horrible body images to, you know, teenagers and women in their 20s and 30s back in the 90s. And, you know, I, um, one of my favorite comedians is, is um, Nikki Glazer, and she's um, late 30s, early 40s, and she talks about how she had a lot of problems with eating disorders in their teens because of all the biodysmorphia from all the media at the time. It's all like supermodels and this, this and that. You have to be real thin. They want to see your backbones. They want to see your – it's all the ridiculous things. And for you, I, and a lot of it had to do, I had a lot of problems too with it. And I still do, um, you know, you, I'm not a skinny guy. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with getting changed for gym starts in like fourth grade. And I think that adolescence of getting changed for gym, whether, you know, you're a girl or a boy, it's the first time that you're seeing the other person. And then the body image change comes into play because you're getting made fun of. Right. And a lot of the times, neither of us have even grown into our bodies yet. <laughs> And you're being made fun of and, you know, for things that you shouldn't even try to control yet. You shouldn't be trying to control your weight yet in fourth or fifth or sixth grade. Like, that's something that will work itself out as you hit your puberty and everything works itself out metabolism. Right. You shouldn't have to worry about dieting and eating right and being so regimented in fourth and fifth grade. But it happens because of the body images you get from, like, the locker rooms Right. And then people, how they hear people get made fun of. So I think it's okay to like say something. So I think that's where a lot of it will like start. And then you don't ever really learn any other way of how to look at yourself really, because mm-hmm. these are all those first things that we're teaching ourselves. Like I said, with the, you know, how we would teach ourselves, you know, bad habits with body images from seeing it on the media. You know, we can only learn what we, you know, we don't want to ask for help either. We're the oldest. So we're really just trying to like find our own way through it. And that negative self-talk too. I mean, I will say like the meanest things to myself that I wouldn't say to my worst enemy. Yeah. It's terrible. (laughs) And I say some mean things to some people sometimes because I'm a very (laughs) blunt person. And I still don't ever say anything half as mean as the things I say to myself. You know, when I did stand-up comedy, I always made fun of my weight. Because if I made fun of my weight, you couldn't make fun of me for it because I'm already doing it. You know, I can't, you can't make fun of me because I'm already making fun of myself. You know, kind of thing. There's a lot of things that a lot of us do, you know, to be subconscious. So... Um, and for years it was controlling your eating because like I said, how we kind of spun out of, you know, went on a rant a little bit was the early two thousands. That was like, that can be zoned in on as a body image, you know, epicenter of problems. And I'm sure you weren't alone. I'm sure there was other women that you're friends with, or you were friends with then that were going through the same struggles. 
Oh, yeah, we were all like, oh, did you try these diet pills? Oh, I got these diet pills. One time my mom found them in my drawer and she she thought it was like heroin or something. <laughs> like, what is this? Like, and and what was her reaction when you told her, oh, no, no, they're just, di- they're just diet pills? Yeah, I mean, I guess she was relieved, you know, yeah. at that time. But she found all kinds of stuff through me. <laughs> my poor mom. <laughs> My mom, I remember one time my mom found a pack of my cigarettes and she put them in the freezer. She put them in tinfoil and put them in the freezer. When I asked for them back, I was like, they weren't mine. I was holding on to them for a friend, you know. And she was like, okay. And she gave them to me and they were in the freezer. Like, what the hell did you put them in the freezer for? I mean, they were nice and fresh. I'm not (laughs) mad at it. I've just never put my smokes in the freezer since, though. But it's still. But my wife said her mom did it before, too. I said, it must be something from, like, the 50s or the 60s. Like, I have no idea. I have no idea. So (laughs) now you're still, you drop out of college. Where do you go when you dropped out? Do you go back home? Um, I did. I went back home, moved in with this boyfriend, um, the boyfriend that I was with, you know, previously <clears throat> went, went, and that was another, you know, another cycle of codependency, right. That comes with, with addiction. So I'm with this guy and, um, <clears throat> the crazy thing about that part of my life was, so I, I went home, I went to a community college, so I'm doing it right. I'm working, uh, I was waitressing at the time. I pretty much wait, waitress like my whole my whole life um, until I got into my career now. Um, and so I'm waitressing and I'm going to school. I'm doing well, okay? And I had gotten into like a car accident in high school and I get this settlement, right? I get this settlement of like $5,000. And it happened like just the week before I had went to my first rave. <laughs> So for like a month, me and my friends went to like raves and we were all jacked up on like ecstasy, ecstasy. G, like, oh my goodness. I already knew you were going to, because I, again, I went right to the thought of early to mid 2000s, right? Yes. Is that when it was? And, you know, I always think of ecstasy being through the roof then because <laughs> of um, Bad Boys 2. The movie Bad Boys 2, Will Smith uh-huh. is all about the ecstasy dealer. And that yeah. was like 2002 or something like that. So that's how I can always pinpoint when E was huge. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I was like, yeah, big into the, the rave scene. So I, I was the girl who was like, I was starting all the massage trains. <laughs> on ecstasy. I had j- the Jenko jeans, the glow sticks. Like I was like all you know, all in it, um, listening to the techno music. I wish you had some pictures of that for me to put across the screen right now. Oh some Janko jeans. I jeans. I know, right? I don't. There's younger don't. listeners that don't know what Janko jeans are. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And so I, I went through that scene for a little while, which really brought me into the, the crystal meth scene where I got like pretty heavy into crystal meth and... Um, just partying, you know, all over partying and, you know, things just start to progress. I, I was always working. That was the thing I would work, but then I would like have to like steal from my job, you know what I mean? And like things would happen and then I would quit the job and go get another job. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was like a, a terrible cycle, um, stayed in like the bad relationship for a while, but I was still like able to work, you know, try to like support my habit. I actually graduated college through all of this craziness. 
Um, I got my associate's degree in business science and psychology, was going for my bachelor's in international business. I mean, still living with my parents and, you know, I, I went on like that for like several years, um, just, just partying all the time, but still being able to somewhat maintain. And then everything was great until like, um, you know, I got pregnant <laughs> and then, you know, um, I, you can't do drugs anymore when you're pregnant. I mean, you can, but you, you, you can, shouldn't. you can't, yeah, you can, yeah. you can't, <laughs> it's a, it's a right. giant gray area. I mean, you know, right. it's like smoking cigarettes. You can, you can't, you know, right. like you shouldn't, you know, the baby will be healthier. You right. Know? <laughs> a lot better right. chance of even having a baby, you know, and right. you not dying. Right. So yeah, like a lot of things you can and you can't. So mm -hmm. did you, did you stop or were you, did you continue? So I stopped after a couple months. It did take me like two, two, three months to kind of like get it uh, together. It was probably about two months. And then my family did a quick move to Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> and cause how old are you at the time now? 23. So you're pregnant at 23, and right. who and who is the dude? Uh, his name was Pete. He actually okay. is the father of both my children. Um, okay. So I make a quick move to Fort Lauderdale with my parents. Um, I'm working down there. I'm doing well. He's still in New Hampshire because he got tr in trouble for selling dope to an undercover or something. So you can't do that anymore? You can't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> so he got he got a couple months in jail for it. It wasn't like super. It was like I think it was like a quarter ounce of weed or something. It wasn't anything like you know yeah. super major. Yeah. Um, so you know I go to um, Florida. I'm in Fort Lauderdale and I'm I'm doing well. I'm staying sober. Um, I have my son. Get back with the baby daddy. He comes back and uh, he brings a crack habit with him. So I learned about that. Fancy. <laughs> yeah. Fancy. Right. So I learned about that, about that. Um, within a couple of months, I ended up giving my, my son to my mom because, um, you know, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Uh, we, and we lived like two, three hours away. Um, you know, me and the baby daddy broke up because who can have a healthy relationship when you're stuck on crack. Right. Um, yeah, so he ended up leaving. It was crazy, too, because, look, he was a carpet surfer, <laughs> so he was, like, always in the carpet, and I was always peeping out the window. It was, like... like a bad, you're like a bad movie. You're like a bad episode of Breaking Bad that no one wants to watch. Just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, like, the most interesting dynamic. One time I was peeping out the window, and the neighbors were peeping back at me. <laughs> Yeah, going, yeah, honey, she's fucking looking at us again. <laughs> no, I don't see him, but I'm pretty sure he's on the carpet still. <laughs> yeah, that was like the, <laughs> the most memorable time of my crack addiction. I call but that the You had enough year. time to have another baby with him. <laughs> yes, six years later. Oh, six years later. Jamie. Six years later, okay. we had another baby. Um, yeah, we were one of those on again, off again, really bad episodes. <laughs> Adorable. And, yeah, so. Um, so now you're off I, again, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're off again. I decide I'm going to go 
into a whole new lifestyle now. I'm going to go work in the, the club scene. So I started dancing, working in that whole club scene, uh, started prostituting, you know, doing all that. Um, Were you down in Miami? I was in Sarasota and Tampa at the time. Oh, so you're down, um, down. You're like, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. So those I, tourists coming in. Huh? That's like a lot of tourists down there, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Big, big money. Big, big money. So <clears throat> I end up going back to school. And so I go back to school to get my uh, massage license because that seemed like it was a, a good idea, right? I had like a friend who did it. He pretty much made up his own schedule. He worked during the day, got really fucked up at night. And I was like, this is the life for me. <laughs> made a lot of money. <laughs> like let me try this um and you know the cool thing was what happened was when I started school I actually really liked it um I actually found something because I had gone to school forever you know for so many different things I went you know for business management international business psychology all these things and I could do them and it was fine but it was nothing that I had like a passion for right um but when I found massage therapy I found a purpose in my life and I was really good at it and I would get requested by like the president of the school and all my teachers and I got to do this really cool internship with the Tampa Bay Bucks and it was really awesome I was really like on my way right and I I really felt that once I got my massage license I would be able to be like free right I would be able to be free to afford to be a mom afford to um take care of myself be independent not have to be stuck in one codependent relationship after another one right because um I would be able to have like the finances to be able to take care of myself for once and so and the freedom of having my own business right and and making really good money And so I really immersed myself in that, but I still was still using, you know what I mean? I was, I was drinking like a 24 pack and, and doing cocaine. Um, the thing was that I, I liked school so much that I did not drink or do cocaine till after school, till after I did my homework and after I studied. (laughs) Well, that's because it's a learned behavior from fifth grade. You got your homework done and then you got drunk like a responsible middle school kid. (laughs) right right. so that's good that you taught yourself that at a young age and it carried on through college Mm -hmm. so were you able to finish this round of college as well then since you were being so studious so I did so good and um right I think it was a month before I graduated my dad had died so that of course put me in this like terrible spiral I picked up the crack pipe again. I started like prostituting a lot and um, I actually got arrested the day before my graduation in a huge prostitution sting. Um, They made an example out of me, put me on the news for three days straight. Um, It was so embarrassing. I just remember like I was in this hotel and when was this? Guy, huh? When was this? Like, this how old were you? 2006. So I was 26 years old. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is 2006. Um, 
I go to this hotel to do this call, right? Because I had like a Craigslist, Craigslist ad, right? And the guys being like all weird talking to me about like, well, what can you buy on Craigslist? Like, bro, what do you mean? What can you buy on Craigslist? What, like, what, what, what couldn't you buy on Craigslist in 2006? Is the real Tiger King, I think, got started on Craigslist in 2006. Like anything right. you wanted. Exactly, exactly. So I knew there was something weird going on. Like there was a laptop in the room. There was a broken mirror. And I was like, I think this guy's going to kill me. <laughs> He's either going to kill me or I'm about to go to jail. You know, I knew something wasn't right. Um, I went to go run out the door. And you know that the adjoining doors to like the hotel rooms, this door swings open and like 25 police and reporters come out with like, um, with cameras and like everything. And I just remember like They brought the back. news with them? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. It was the fucking guy from Dateline. It was, it was huge. The whole hotel was shut down. Everybody in the hotel was just like, paid to be there like that was part of the whole crew it was a huge thing you can oh, find for you, that jamie you can you can find that uh i can you can find my mugshot you can find the little article oh my god mugshot you got it writing that down for later i'll interject <laughs> that in here <laughs> yeah it was the worst i used to call it the worst day of my life but now i feel like you know it was really just a turning point for me you know well, you're, um, yeah, but then again, your sober date's not for another nine years, so, you know, it, yeah. it, it wasn't enough for you to be like, I got to change my ways now at 26. No, You know, no. it was like, how do I find a way around my ways to keep my ways a coming? Because, yeah. you know, we're talking a lot about crack and meth, ecstasy and other things, coke, but I'm thinking Florida, 2006, do you and when do you or did you ever get involved with opiates down there? Because how did, how could you not be involved with opiates during that time in Florida? Very little, but it wasn't until I moved in 2008 to Georgia that I switched. I switched from cocaine to pain pills because I could function and I wasn't stuck in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I hear that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes so, a lot of sense, yeah. Right. So that's so, 2006. Now, okay. So the, what's the, what's the fallout of this arrest when they're trying to make an example of you? Do right. they throw the do they throw the book at you too when it comes to sentencing? They tried to. However, the guy continuously asked me, "Are you trading money for sex?" And I continuously said, "No, I'm not a prostitute." <laughs> Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, I'm just here to hang out. You know what I'm saying? Um, at least I was like some, you know, I, I recognize, yeah. you know. And so because of that, I got a lawyer. They were not able to to get me yeah. with it. I ended up having to plead out to um, battery on an undercover because when I tried to run out the room, I tried to, like, knock it, you know. Um so I had to take that. I ended up getting six months probation. It was like really nothing. Um, yeah. yeah. They were they didn't get what they wanted to get out of it, that's for sure, with all the money they spent on that kind of bust. Oh I mean, yeah. There was, <laughs> I think there was like five other people that got busted. So I think Family Guy Family Guy covered it best. Family Guy did it um like they, they do cutaways on the show all the time, like funny things. 
And one of them was about how, like, technically, if there would have been a camera in the room, you could have said you were recording, and the payment was for recording the sex, and that's the loophole that, you know what I mean, of, like, that's why you can get paid to be a performer. And it's like, I never even realized that. Like, technically, uh-huh. it is the same difference, but you all of a sudden you put a couple more guys in the room with cameras, and now it's not prostitution. And right. it's, <laughs> you're making a film. And That's, it's so yeah, they used to always say like, "Oh, we we trade roses, <laughs> like we trade roses or flowers." That's definitely or... Craigslist. Roses was definitely Craigslist. That was. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Okay, so now you get that probation. What is it that takes you up to Georgia eventually in two thousand eight? My mom moved. Okay, so when my your dad passed, moved. your mom moved up to Georgia. Is that where she was originally from? Yes, that's where her family is. Yeah. That makes so sense then. Mm-hmm. And you decided, and she had your son then, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So now you're like, okay, I need to get away from, you know, this dude down here. I'll start over right. up there. Right. And so I, I tried to do good. You know, I was working at a, a restaurant at an Applebee's waitressing at the time. Um, you know, but it's like wherever, wherever I went, I was still there. Right. <laughs> so, Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I'm you know I'm drinking again, but not before long I realized that mom moved next door to a crack dealer, so I was back on that bus again. Um, and I had gotten a job working at a okay, it's like this multicultural international kind of bar where this they- episode is sponsored by MJ's Progress Not Perfection Meeting Center Association. We are in our meeting center where we do all these meetings for mental health and addiction. I can do this podcast anywhere. I can do this at home. I can do this in a closet. I can do this in a basement. It doesn't matter. All I need is somebody else to talk to about addiction and recovery. What I can't do from anywhere is help people with their addiction and their mental health problems. So if you can help out, you know, we do have a Venmo, we have a Cash App, we have a PayPal, we have an address you can send a check to. And, you know, all the money that gets donated goes towards rent, goes towards keeping the lights on, and goes towards keeping the internet on. So please, you know, if you can get five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, it doesn't matter. Anything you can is so appreciated. And if you are a local business, if you're a national business, whatever, and you want to be a part of what we're doing, you know, you can reach out to me and we can talk about how you can be a sponsor. But I'll let you get back to the episode. Um, so I was waitressing. I was dancing on the bar, at, not naked dancing, just like dancing. And then you did like coyote like, ugly. Kind of, Yes. Yes. Like that. Um, and then you did these dances. They're very like um that these they had all these girls in there that do these dances for five dollars they will dance with a guy for five dollars and it's not anything like you know like it's very like, like formal. yes yes like formal old-fashioned <laughs> yeah. um Colombian, dance. Brazilian salsa all that kind of stuff so it was you know I did very well very well in there <clears throat> um I'm pretty sure it was just a front for some kind of cartel because there was so much cocaine in there. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That'll happen. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I talked to a guy recently, actually, because um, you probably have seen the movie Blow. Yes. I would imagine. Um, and you lived in New Hampshire. Um, mm-hmm. I lived in Massachusetts for a little while and um, in my addiction and before that. And... I met a guy up there that I had on the show that he's his episode's coming out soon. 
he's 25 years clean, but he was doing coke in Massachusetts in the 80s that was coming from George Young. It was coming from who? George Young, the guy from Blow that was coming oh, from wow. Columbia, Columbia to Massachusetts, yeah. and that was Holy smuggling smoke. it. Yeah, that's the cocaine he was getting in the 80s because wow. he lived miles from Weymouth, where George is originally from. Wow. So I was like, damn, dude, no wonder why you needed some rehab after doing some pure, like, nothing. <laughs> like, whatever. I'm like, man, we never got anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> you never got good stuff like that. <laughs> so what was the what was your introduction to opiates then? Who introduced you to that? So I switched over to opiates. I actually ended up getting arrested. I was in a house that got raided. Um, and of course, you know, they come in and I actually did an episode on my TikTok about this where like they, they came in and I'm trying to shove drugs in this like teddy bear, you know, all my drugs or whatever. The house is full of drugs. You know what I'm saying? This is one of those trap houses that have no electricity, no running water. I'm of course dating the drug dealer because if you had drugs, we were dating, right? Uh-huh. And, and so um, I, I ended up getting arrested. I ended up spending 20 days in jail. That was my first time I ever spent some time in jail. And when I got out, um, I actually stayed clean for like a month, you know, um, I ended up, all the charges ended up getting dropped because of the guy whose house it was, the boyfriend, um, he ended up pleading guilty to all the charges. Um, and so, uh, I ended up staying clean for about a month and then, you know, I got another job waitressing. I was working at IHOP, um, met some people there and they did pills. There, there was no crack in there. So, uh, so I started doing pills and that for me was another solution. Like, Hey, I can go to work. They give me energy. They make me feel good. I can work like 18 hour shifts and not hurt in my body. Right. And this is great. Did you know that, did you know that they weren't supposed to give us energy like they did? <laughs> like no. I've seen other people take Roxy's and they don't get energy like we did. <laughs> it's like, I could clean the house. Yeah. I could, I could do so much. Like I could drive for hours. Like, yeah. like but somebody else that's not an addict, I've seen them take one and they're just like dead. They're just donezo, out cold, like, that's yeah. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the addicts though, we're just like, yeah, give me more. This is what I, yeah. this, this is what I want. So <laughs> what, was it, was it like Roxy's that you got into? Um, No, actually the first things that I got into were like Percocets and just lower tabs. Um, those were like the first things that, that I did and they were not expensive. I worked with a bunch of older ladies. So I really had like the hookup with the, with the older community. You were getting well. them straight from their script, from their doctor and they, they yes. weren't selling them to anybody. They right. were just taking them and like, oh, you know, she's a good girl. Jamie just <laughs> needs a couple to get through the day. <laughs> I sell right. them for $5. Yes, exactly. Oh, I was getting them for like three. I was yes. I had like two, three bucks, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't want to take yeah. advantage of you, Jamie. Here, here's a good price. <laughs> right, right. And you that's where, taking I, huge where I also learned about, oh, I can go to the doctor myself and I can get prescriptions, you know? Um, And so the first time I got in a accident and got some whiplash right I got a little little accident nothing major I got some whiplash I ended up going to get you know they gave me an MRI of course because I went to the ER all that stuff right and so I end up going to this pain clinic uh 
um, this, it was a, a sports medicine pain, whatever, um, in Snellville. And, um, I go and I'm in there for 10 minutes and this doctor starts touching me and I don't, I'm like, what is going on? He's like a young guy. Like it just totally unexpected, totally blew my mind. Um, and it was very awkward. It was weird. Um, I, I get done. He gets done with the consultation. Okay. Or whatever. Like touching um, like your back or your neck. Or like, so he was, yeah. he went, he wasn't even like, yeah. Yeah. He was inappropriately touched, not like yes. touching you, like examining doctor. Like he's like, I'm gonna give you something, so you're not gonna say shit. So this is what it is. Yes, yes. So he starts touching my breast within like the first ten minutes. Then I, I, I go to you know to check out or whatever, and he hands me a script of sixty oxy eighties, and I had never even, I didn't even know what an oxy was, you know. Uh, but I found out very quickly <laughs> that I could make a lot of money off of these oxys. And so I kind of started this, um, you know, relationship with this doctor. And he would let me come during lunchtime, right, when everything was closed. We would have sex. He would give me scripts. I would bring my girlfriends. He would have sex with them and give them scripts. And that was it, you know, and I was just selling, selling, selling pills. I got into the selling, you know, selling pills. I mean, we were selling so many pills and we had this whole network of people. I had, you know, there was like eight of us, right? And we all knew when each person was going to the doctor, what day they were going, hey, do you need a ride? I'll bring you to the doctor. You know what I mean? Like, how are we going to get clean pee for the doctor? Or you need like the pee with just the specific drug in it. You know what I'm saying? We had this whole network of people in on this whole, you know, doctor shopping thing. Um, and we were making a lot of money and it was great. But then one day I was like, let me try these Roxy's. Let me try them. Like, what is it? You know? And, um, you know, they showed me, you know, you, you just, you can sniff them right at the time I was just sniffing them. And then, um, what happened was, uh, that second round with baby daddy and I got pregnant. And by this time, I am stuck on pain pills and pregnant. So that was, um, that was really hard. I was guilt ridden. Uh, I didn't do any other drugs, just pills. Um, and I did have a prescription from like my OB. I ended up getting a script for like some Percocet fives from my OB for uh, like some general pain stuff. So. Um, this way, if you piss dirty, you wouldn't right. get control from Yes, because right. you're supposed to have this in your system. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, it was probably one of the hardest times of my life, um, you know, because I had so much guilt and shame. I wanted to tell somebody I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how to. I'm scared. What if I do stop and then I have withdrawals and then I lose my baby? Like, how do I do this? Um, at seven months pregnant, I ended up coming clean to the OB. Um it was not like it was now. Like now, if you come clean to a doctor and you're pregnant, they have peer support, they have services, they have all of this for you. Back in 2009, they didn't have this. And basically it was just, you know, I was like shamed. And 
um, they said, well, you know, we're gonna, you know, keep the baby for like six, seven days and we will, you know, just monitor her and we'll see how she does. Well, um, you know, they ended up taking her from me right away. Thank God that they gave custody to my mother. They gave custody to my mom. Uh, she ended up having to be in the NICU for six weeks. And she was in the NICU on um, phenobarbital and morphine. Um, it was the hardest thing that I had ever been through. My family was so pissed at me. They were like, I can't believe that you did this, you know? And um, I really wanted to stop. I, I wanted to, and that kind of, so my mom took, took my daughter, you know, my mom let me, um, you know, live at the house, but, um, you know, she didn't really allow me to have anything to do with her. Um, that did start me going into detox though. So that was just a couple months later. It's the first time I, I went to detox and I, I went through that cycle about eight different times because every time I would get out of detox, I would think, okay, I'm cured. Now I can just go and party like everybody else, you know? <laughs> and of course, within two weeks, I'm detoxing again. And I'm like, yeah. how am I in withdrawals? I just got cured from this. Yeah, it's crazy because it doesn't, you know, go away, you know, because um, my sober date, yeah, it's been, you know, my sober date's February leap day 2020. So it's been, you know, almost two years I haven't had a drink or a dr drink, but I have, but I haven't had a drug in three and a half. You know, I, I got clean from opiates, which was my drug of choice in 2018. I had a slip up with drinking for a little bit, you know, but the opiates thing, um, it's been almost, it'll be four years in April. And it's something that um, I could have never imagined at the time that I could go this long without any kind of you know, especially how we went from drinking to drugs for so long. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, yeah. Okay, so, and the whole treatment centers and in and out of detoxes. Oh, but that's that was my point. Is it hasn't, it's been over three, almost four years, right? I got my gallbladder out last June, three years after the fact. A little over three years after it, since I haven't had any drugs. They gave me fentanyl in the hospital. I told them not to, and they did anyway when I was under. I woke up in immediate withdrawals. No way. My, I, I was thrown off for 18 hours. Wow. So they shot me with fentanyl twice and once with the law while I was under. And my body went into um, precipitated withdrawals. But yeah, as because it's an outpatient surgery. And as soon as we got outside to the parking lot, my wife and I, like I started getting sick and vomiting. Like I woke up and... I said to the nurse, like, something's wrong. Like, I feel funny. And she was like, oh, yeah, that's like, you know, the anesthesia. And I'm like, no, I, this isn't anesthesia. This is like, I'm high. And that's when the doctor walked in. He's like, oh, yeah, you looked uncomfortable. So we had to shoot you up a couple of times with fentanyl. I'm like, bro. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, that doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. It wasn't fun. So... Now, you're in and out of treatments and detoxes and all that. What was it that, you know, I, I would imagine you keep getting kicked out of your house, too, every time you withdraw or every time you relapse? 
Um, no, I mean, I would just leave. Like I would go stay, you know, I was living in all of these really terrible living situations, um, living with people who, you know, were making me do things for drugs, you know what I'm saying? But it was like, they had the drugs. And at this point, I'm so far in my addiction. I can't hold a job. I can't work. I can't be normal by any means, you know? Um, and so it was just like, I was, you know, there was like, there's periods of my time, time that I don't even remember. Like, I remember going back to my mom's one day and my daughter was talking and it was like, I swear when I just saw her, she was not talking. I was like, oh my God, like she can talk. Like, when did that happen? Like, I have no idea. It was just like lapses. Like, I don't even know. I would go off with this person, be gone for however long, go off with this person, be gone for however long. No idea. Like what's happening. Um, ended up getting in trouble like a, a couple more times, you know, nothing like, like I got in trouble, but I didn't get any like consequences from it. You know what I mean? Um, until finally the last time that I got arrested. Um, and that was, uh, what did I have? I had schedule one, two, three, four, and five on me. <laughs> and you got, you like, got all of them. Yeah. They were like, like, you know, what, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing with all this? And I'm like, it's a Tuesday night, bro. <laughs> like, this is just, this is what we do. You know, this is nothing, just a little bit of everything, you know, just a little bit of everything. And, um, it was then, you know, that I got that, the sentence of the, the felony probation where I knew, you know, I went in jail and it was crazy. Cause I went in the same jail that I did the first time for the same exact amount of time. It was 20 days in the same jail, the same amount of time. I swear the same people were in there. It was the craziest, like most supernatural weirdest shit ever. And, um, I knew that it was like, this was it. Like, it was like my, I, I like went around in this big old circle, like here I am again, <laughs> you know? And I was like, this time, this time I need to do something different. And um, I was just sick and tired of waking up every day, pissed off that I woke up and um, started looking for a way to, to do something different. Now, did you know your husband now then? No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> And when did you guys meet? So we actually met last year. Uh, we met on a recovery collaboration. So Adam has a YouTube channel. I started my uh, social media recovery platform in during lockdown, during COVID. So I, um, you know, here in Georgia, I'm a huge part of the recovery community. I'm a peer specialist for addictive disease and a recovery coach with Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. I'm also today a massage therapist. <laughs> uh, I have my own business. <laughs> yes, I have my own business. Um, I also created a protocol for something called recovery massage. So I am able to assist people who are on medication assisted treatment with stabilization um, and to help with tapering up or down, however that looks. Um, and work on people in early recovery and also people who struggle with trauma. So I, I do all that in the recovery community. I created a wellness room at one of the nonprofits who work with women who are coming out of human trafficking and prostitution. And so 
I am very involved in the recovery community here in Athens. So during COVID, everything was locked down. I, you know, I had to shut my business down. Um, and all of my friends were struggling because they actually shut down the probation offices. So nobody was happy to report to probation. A lot of people, you know, they had no accountability, right? They weren't, nobody's taking anybody in the treatment centers. Um, it was just crazy. And so many of my friends were struggling. So I started doing these Facebook lives and I started doing some meetings um, through one of the nonprofits called Spiritual Fitness. And it was just, you know, talking about different things in recovery, different topics, you know, and so I kind of started this like social media online platform for recovery and I got so much feedback. Everybody was reaching out to me like, man, you helped me so much. This is so hard. You know, we're doing online meetings. Nobody can meet in person. It was just the craziest thing. You know, we're in, we're in a pandemic in the middle of an epidemic and we can't just stop. So we have to find ways to reach people and support people virtually. And that's what I, that's what I did. And I found Adam's channel. His channel is IFI motivation. So I found his channel on YouTube. Um, he actually had commented something on my post. Um, I had, I was writing a post on, it was kind of like a purity post, right? So it was about like how when you're first year in recovery, we should not hook up. We should take this time and pour it into ourselves and all this stuff. And he slaps on there uh, a link for his video in the comments about 13 stepping. <laughs> and I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> and why is he writing on my commenting on my purity post about 13 stepping? You know? Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> I I went and, and watched the video and found that his message was actually the same as my message, but he was more like in the comedy realm of it. Um, and I was like, man, you know, this guy's really cool. Like he speaks so boldly about recovery and so openly and honestly, and he's transparent and he's funny. And I bet a lot of my friends would really be able to relate to him. So I kind of started sharing his stuff we started talking. I had just started my YouTube channel. And so he kind of helped me develop it. And he was going and doing, um, he was doing a, a tour, like a three state tour for um, motivational speaking for recovery. So he's like, Hey, I want to come to Athens. And this was July 11th, 2020. And I set up something at one of the nonprofits where you're we like, yeah, we're going to make some videos, collaborate. He's like, I'll show you all the ins and outs of YouTube. And I was like, cool. And, um, and that was it, man. We met July 11th, 2020. We were engaged by November 11th. And, nice. um, we just had our, our wedding October 10th. Congrats. Thank you. That is awesome. I was at, I was at a wedding October 9th for my brother. <laughs> oh wow, it's a good month to get married. <laughs> yep. Well, his birthday is October 10th. So it worked. Cool. Yeah, it worked out that way. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's awesome though, because having something that you can collaborate with and make videos with, make content with, but also like show you the ropes too of like equipment wise. Like people always forget when content creators are making this, like we have ring lights, we have other things, we have, you know, microphones, we sometimes like 
and everyone uses different things and you then you see somebody using some kind of equipment you're like what the hell is that right you know, <laughs> you know? so it's always good when you guys are have the same kind of goals you know what i mean the same kind of wants and drives and I, and do you have a link tree for all of your things that you do um everything for me is you can just search hashtag jamie tall okay so i'll put it inside the um the, the description of the episode Mm -hmm. So they can, you know, click on whatever and go to your Instagram or your Facebook or your TikTok or yes. whatever that you have going that you're, and then your YouTube channel. Are you doing what are you doing on your YouTube channel? I know you're telling your story. I know you've been putting up like episodes of like your story, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right now. Well, I just started a series on TikTok called Diary of a Drug Addict. And that's that's like TikTok is really just like my creative outlet. I did not expect my TikTok to blow up the way that it has because TikTok is just like me having fun. You know what I mean? Like yep. my YouTube, my Instagram, my Facebook is all like very serious. Like I'm talking about numbers of overdoses and how to get help and all this stuff. And TikTok, I'm just like, I'm just messing around talking about like crazy, stupid stuff that I did in my addiction. Yeah. <laughs> TikTok's great for that, though. It's been great, like, for support. You know, I've seen people that, you know, they've tried, you know, 12 steps. They tried different kind of fellowships and mm -hmm. that kind of thing, and it didn't work for them. And But it works for them to be on TikTok for four hours a day and watching different videos of people like you and me that we post uh, for recovery that are all, like, you know, being positive and happy in recovery and showing that it's possible. Right to live and be happy. Do you do any kind of fellowship? In? Um, so I don't have to say which one for, you know, reasons of traditions, but oh, I grew, you know, I, the foundation of my recovery was definitely 12 step. Um, and I've done all the step programs, you know what I mean? And I've done the steps for all of the, all of the programs, mainly, um, I did NAAA celebrate recovery, uh, a little bit of double trouble <laughs> and um you know we have all recovery meetings here so um it's a little bit about where you can like talk about anything you know there's no like rules you know you can talk about anything that's ours that's what that's our place is where it's like more mental health yes. based meetings where you can talk about your day you talk about drugs talk about alcohol trauma you know we well we do have like thursday night is lgbtq night where we have like a youth group that comes in for LGBTQ that are, you know, already transitioning and all that kind of stuff. So, cause that's what we do out of our meeting center for different kinds of, you know, arts and crafts is a cool. popular one. Yeah. So that people awesome. always forget about that. It's a really basic, you know, support group meeting that can be really beneficial for people. It's so important because like, you know, me coming up my first year, I feel like my first year in recovery, it was like 12 step or die. You know what I'm saying? Like that was it. And now there's like so many different pathways. My best friend is a yoga teacher and she does yoga recovery. You know what I mean? That's so yeah. cool. Fitness is a huge pathway for me. Like I exercise, I run. Um, that for me is huge. Also another pathway for me is service. Like I've really found I call it like my love language in recovery and service for me is like, is like my love language. Like that is how I love people. And that is how I stay sober by serving in all these different ways, whether it be in massage, whether it be in me telling my story, whether it be, you know, um, 
me like facilitating meetings at one of the recovery community organizations, um, teaching classes at the treatment center. I mean, all of these things is just like me serving. Um, so I'm like, I do like my fellowshipping. It's like I went through seasons, right? So I went through like a season of this, this fellowship and a season of this fellowship. And then I went through a season of like speaking. I was like speaking all over the place, like a different meeting every week I'm speaking at, you know? Um, but that's good though. I think that our, our recovery should almost kind of mirror our addiction in a way like that. If it was chaotic, then it could be chaotic. You know, mm -hmm. if, you know, you bounced around with different drugs of choice, then why wouldn't you bounce around with different fellowships? Yes. Yes. You know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. you know, when, and also not to mention, and I, I put a lot of stock in how much I moved. Not everybody does that, but when you move around, like I said, when you're growing up, you're constantly moving. So this that means you're used to learning on the fly. You're used to learning yeah. something and then moving, learning something new, moving and learning something new and then so on. So why yeah. that's how your brain learns and understands things. So why yeah. wouldn't you bounce around fellowships? That's that's your pattern. That's how you understand things. You learn it, you master it, you move on to the next one that you can learn and master. Yeah. So true. That explains it. <laughs> I'm learning so much today. You're like putting it all in front of me. I'm like, wow. Have you been so to therapy true. yet? <laughs> some of this is some of this is told you in therapy. So <laughs> it depends on your therapist. Right. But you know, well, well for me, it's uh, the moving thing is a big deal, and I do notice those kinds of patterns because that is my pattern. Mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm only saying those things too because they've been said to me, right? Like. Okay. That's yeah. the only reason I can ever point them out is because someone has said to me, oh, you do that because of this. And I'm like, son of a bitch, you know? <laughs> so now whenever I see myself in somebody, I can't, I'll point it out. So whenever you're watching my show or listening to my show and you hear me point something out and then you, the guest being like, oh my God, I never realized that you're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm not no I'm not a fucking genius. I didn't go to school for this. It just means that I did that too and that's why yeah. I see it and I call it. I'm not, you know, I don't try to claim to be I didn't go to school for this. I'm just somebody who is a drug addict just like you, Jamie. Bounce around yeah. and trying to find myself and tr still trying to find myself and now trying to find myself in a recovery. So are you are you like a peer coach or recovery coach or anything? No, I'm just an alcoholic. You would be so good at it. <laughs> I know. I'm told that. I, we have a lot of peer specialists that come to our meetings. Mm -hmm. um, one of our board members, um, they they are a peer specialist, and they do peer support. So they were telling me about it, and I looked into it, and I'm still considering it. My wife was considering it. Um, she was just diagnosed with MS. Um, in August, so she's kind of like trying to figure out her meds right now um, for herself. But I basically am without getting paid to be it, right? Like I'm, I'm, ba I'm a sponsor for people in the program. You know, I do AA in the morning, I go to NA at night, and I have people in both fellowships that you know come to me that want to go through the steps. So, and and it's also because when I got sober, I talked to therapists multiple with an s because i found it so helpful so i would talk to a therapist that only went to school for this and she learned everything that she knew about you know addiction and treatment through books because she had all the book answers 
But then I would want to talk to the therapist that was once also an addict because then he is taking the book and equating it to him. Basically, a peer specialist. I didn't know that was even a thing until recently, but I was basically looking for a peer specialist and a therapist. But I also wanted my therapist to be women because I open up easier with women than I do men. And I think that has to do with growing up in the 90s and opening up to men. And open up to women was easier because you're not supposed to open up and be vulnerable to men. You know, so for me, when I got the therapy, it was easier to open up to a woman than a man. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot. You know, I was telling somebody recently, it wasn't until like Sopranos that we learned it was okay to cry. That it was okay to be vulnerable as men. You know, that was the first time that you saw a powerful figure like Tony Soprano. You know, this this is a mob boss that kills people on one hand, but is sitting here with this woman going, oh, my mom just driving me crazy and talking about his mommy issues, you know, and, you know, I'm 13 years old and watching my dad watch this and my dad's your your dad's age, you know, because I did the math on that. My dad is born in 62. So, (laughs) yeah, I did the math. So of him being 15 when he had you. So, you know, my dad is watching this, and for the first time, he is also seeing, you know, a big male figure who is, you know, and what, what Analyze This came out the same time with Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro. And again, he goes mafia boss to a shrink. So <laughs> this is late 90s, the first time that I can remember it being okay to, like, show emotions and to openly talk about your feelings as yeah. a man. So, you know, we're all just products of what our parents could learn or what they knew, but it wasn't much. I don't, shit, I don't know much, and I'm a parent now. (laughs) I'm figuring this shit out as I go. Yeah. Do you get your kids? kids? I only have, I'm seven, and I I, I came in his life when he was five. Awesome. So, my, yeah, we, and we co-parent with his dad. You know, he goes to his dad's on the weekends, and. You know, we have a pretty good schedule where if his dad needs us to take him for a day or vice versa, you know, we openly communicate well with him and have a good, you know, back and forth relationship with his dad. Because that's what's really important is making sure that that transfer is not awkward between them. You know what I mean? Like, and it's just sometimes it can be a lot, especially for a couple. I can't even imagine, you know, them having to be together for a decade to have a horrible breakup. And then having to figure it out for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. But, he, you know, the, their dad lives in Massachusetts. And um, so, you know, he gets them, you know, the se- seasonal holidays, right? <laughs> so, it's like, Christmas, two weeks in the summer, that kind of thing. Um, my mom actually still has custody of my children. Um, you know, when I came into sobriety, you know, they had lived with her their whole life. So, Honestly, they wanted to stay with her. <laughs> and... I mean, I, again, yeah, and you know, not to not to call you selfish, but it would have been selfish of you right. to be like, no, I want them exactly. now. Now, now, I want to be a mom. Right. It's right. like fuck off. The kids want to be happy and not pulled from the school like you always were. Exactly, exactly, and that's the thing. You know what I mean? It, it really was like acceptance, but because. I love my children. I want them to be happy. You know what I mean? And they know, you know, they know they can come stay with me whenever they want to. They can talk to me. We have such a great relationship now. 
Um, my, my daughter who's 11, she's like my sunshine. I just love her. She's my biggest fan. Like she is my biggest fan. This is so cute. Um, I didn't even realize it. So she, she, I kept getting all these comments on my YouTube videos, right? From this, this little thing, this, this name called Del Sir. And I was like, Del Sir, like, who is this? And it gets like, great job. Awesome video. And I was like, who is this Del Sir? And then all, after like the sixth or seventh one, like, this is like two weeks later, she, it says, it's me, Delilah, mommy. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, you're commenting on my videos. Like, it's so oh, cute. <laughs> so yeah so she's my biggest fan like and I'm super open with my kids um you know my son is 17 he's running into his own stuff right he's doing the 17 year old thing right and but the cool thing is that he talks to me about it he's a hundred percent open with me and he knows that if things get too out of control he knows where to go and he, he knows you know, that, that there's a different kind of life when he's ready. Yeah. And I, and I think that fact that you put it out there as openly as you do is good. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you you are not the, obviously, I think this is no secret. You're not the only mom that has children, you know, and being sober. Right. And you're not the only mom who is on social media that has children that know how to use social media also. And there are some that like want to be completely unidentifiable and do their thing, but they don't, you know, they're not ready for their kids to know their story for whatever reason. But I think the more you are just like, here it is, as as much as you don't want to see it, yeah. here it is. And this way they understand it. And it's you not hiding things because right. if you're hiding, guess what? They're going to go searching. Yeah. You know, yeah. nose up, yeah. like, you know, nope, I, ca I caught a scent. There is something else that you're not telling me. Uh -huh. You're showing me this all cute little package thing over here. But what's this dark, shiny thing over here? I know you got right. back there. So you're better off to just be like, no, this is what it is. This is our <laughs> life. You know, our son comes to our meeting center and he knows what the meeting center is for at seven yeah. years old. He understands this is how we stay have a happy mind and how we don't, you know, get mad and get upset as we talk about our feelings and talk about things with people all the time here, mm -hmm. you know, and we have a kid's room. It's a super awesome, you know, kid's room, Dominic named it, and it has toys and books and he hangs That's out with Dominic, yeah. That's my son's name. With a K <laughs> at the end. D-O-M-I-N-I-C. <laughs> no, I-K I at the end is ours. So oh. my wife wants to be a little bit different. Um, and, um, so yeah, he, um, he has his kids room and when other kids are here, they all play over there and we have Wi-Fi here so they can play switch or on the iPad or whatever too, but yep. So it's been going good. Uh, my wife said, yeah, I want it to be different with his name. So I did it with just a K at the end. I'm like, well, I guess you're lucky we're not having any kids. Cause I want to name my son, sir, like sir William be his name. Like his first name, sir, middle name, like yeah. William like the 17th and she's like you can't cool. do that i'm like you can write whatever you want on the birth certificate you can yeah. do whatever you want like i was like i just want a little kid to be in first grade named sir and the teacher have to call him like raise your hand sir like <laughs> i just want to picture that um but thank you so much i know you got stuff to do at 1 30 soon um 
let your husband know if he, whatever day is good for him around like noon this week. Just let me know which day is good for him around noon that he can sit down for like an hour like this. Okay. Um, but I appreciate you sitting down and talking for a little bit and opening up yeah. and being as open. If anyone wants to check out, you know, your social medias, they're all going to be linked below in the description. And thank you again for your what you do for everybody down there in Georgia. It's awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And and maybe you can come on my show too next time. Whenever, whenever you're ready, I am ready. <laughs> Yay. Awesome. <laughs> All right. I'll you. see you. All right. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. -bye. bye.